With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Mason Avenue's minor league podcast. I'm Steve Seifer, and I'm joined by Lucas Vlahos, Ken Lappin, and Thomas Anderson. How are you gentlemen doing today? Good, good. What the hell is this weather? Uh, yeah, seriously. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a fan. Give me my nice winter cold. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I guess this is kind of, I guess our promote trade extend is kind of related to that today. Because on this date in 1967, Dr. James Bedford, who was a psychology professor in the uh, University of California system, he became the first person to intentionally cryogenically freeze themselves. So he had uh, kidney cancer that spread to his lungs. Not good. Of course, it's someone from California. Why oh, is that not surprising? <laughs> so he, he died from cancer. And then a few hours later, they um, he had his body frozen. He had himself injected with some solutions uh which later research has shown doesn't actually have the biopreservation qualities needed to protect the brain so even if he uh, was revived in the future he'd be brain dead but he's still frozen in a complex and i believe it's california and plenty of other people have done that to themselves over the years i 
don't think I'd want to do that. But if you guys happen to find yourself in a similar situation, um, maybe not dying of cancer, but where you were just cryogenically frozen, of these three people, who would you want to wake up alongside? We have A, Captain America. What B, the hell? <laughs> B, Philip J. Fry. Or C, Austin Danger Powers. It's <laughs> oh, a man. very good list. It's a very good list. I, like I guess it would uh, be. Yes, I guess it would be in the future and not in their respective timelines. Captain America would be like the 60s, Austin Powers in the 90s, and then Fry in the year 3000. Oh, so if I wake up next to Fry, I'm in the year 3000? Uh, I don't know. It's, let's just say it would be a neutral, undecided, undetermined year. Well, that, that like totally changes it, because like, Fry's yeah, a piece right. of shit. But <laughs> the year 3000, I'm all, I'm all for it. You know, so... Uh, I don't know. I think the the potential of being uh, jumped a millennia into the future is worth that gamble. So I'll I'll extend uh, Fry, Captain America, Austin Powers. Fuck. Two very different people. Yeah, <laughs> but both both fun in their own way. Yeah, uh, I feel like they're both exhausting in their own way. Uh-huh. Yes. Incomplete for completely different reasons, but I would be so <laughs> tired of hanging out with either of them after like uh-huh. a week. Uh-huh. I'll promote Captain Rogers and trade Austin Powers, but I'm not particularly happy with it. Yeah, same. <laughs> I, I feel I... weird not promoting somebody literally named Captain America. Yeah. So. <laughs> I think I'd switch Captain America and Austin Powers, to be fair. Just because I feel like Captain America would be so boring to hang out with, even more so than Austin Powers. I know, and I think that Captain America would get you in a lot of danger that you wouldn't necessarily want to be in as a just regular old guy. So would Austin Powers. You have, like, gold member chasing after <laughs> Dr. Evil's going to be out here. Right, but as we know, Dr. Evil always puts his, uh, you know, enemies in easily escapable situations. So I mean, you, you, you run the risk of suffering an unfortunate, unfortunate schmerting accident if you uh, <laughs> wake up next to Austin Powers. That's a very uh, risky that play. Is, it is very risky. That is true. No one wants to be schmelted. <laughs> All right. Um, so last week... We went over the first five players that were revealed in our 2020 top prospect list. There was Alexander Ramirez at 25, Jake Mangum at 24, Ali Sanchez at 23, Stanley Consuegra at 22, Daniel Nunez at 21, and Adrian Hernandez at 20. <clears throat> so this week, we're going to go over the next five guys, and they are at 19, Riley Gilliam. At 18 is Dyson Acosta. At 17 is Tony DeBrell, 16 is Jalen Palmer, and 15 is Freddy Valdez. So let's start off with Gilliam. He is a right-handed reliever. He is from Georgia, and he went to Clemson University in college. And his first year there was kind of unimpressive, but by his sophomore year, he was basically transitioned into a full-time reliever. And he was really good at it, and he basically became one of the, maybe not the best closer in college baseball at the time, but one of the better ones. And um, 
he was selected by the Mets in fifth round of the 2018 draft, and he agreed to a $550,000 signing bonus. He went to Brooklyn for the rest of 2018. He was pretty solid there. And then he started the 2019 season with St. Lucie. Um, but by the time he, by, by the time the season was over, he was in Syracuse already. Um, he went up three levels. He was very effective in high A. He was okay, but a little less effective in double A. And then in limited innings in triple A, he got shelled. Um, so not, not good, uh, signs there. The kind of most notable thing about Gilliam is that he is pretty short, uh, you know, for for a baseball player. I don't know in in what world I don't know uh, what other world is five foot ten short, but here we go. Um, you know, he's athletic, but he is kind of on the smaller side. Um, the fastball it hovers in the mid 90s, low to mid 90s, about 91 to 94. So. But the problem is, in order to get even that velocity, Gilliam has to basically have a really high-energy, violent, hard delivery. And that comes at the expense of command. And he has trouble throwing strikes. Um, not all the time, but you know, a lot of times. So that could lead to too many walks and an elevated pitch count. And another thing that the size does is the pitch doesn't have too much plane because, you know, he, he's on the shorter side. Um, but he, whereas the fastball is kind of pedestrian, he has a really nice curveball. Uh, it's kind of a above average, maybe even plus if he's able to command it well. Uh, you know, tight 12-6 break, um, gets plenty of swings and misses, and... I wouldn't say that he's a two-pitch pitcher because he does throw a changeup, um, but the the curve is so good that you know he's really confident with it, and he could throw it in any count. He'll double it up, he'll triple it up if if need be, um, to get for strikes, to throw it intentionally for balls, to set up his next pitch, and it's it's just uh you know a really good pitch, um, possibly the best curveball in the system. You could make the case for there's a couple of guys, but I would say that he he would be up there. Um, so yeah, he is basically on the cusp. Um, he pitched very limited innings in AAA last season. I'm assuming that he'll start in Syracuse this year and could very well be promoted to the big league club in 2020. I don't know how effective he'll be, um, because again, he kind of got beaten up in, in Syracuse a bit, and that's, you know, a red flag. Obviously, it doesn't, you know, it gets that, it, it gets that much more difficult when you make it to the majors, but we'll see. Um, I was kind of high on Gilliam last year, um, not as high this year, but I think that there still is some sort of, you know, major league potential in there. I feel like, and I think this was the main content of my blurb, that we didn't really learn anything new about Gilliam last year. Um, Like, I'm pretty sure post-draft, you read that profile and you say, okay, so he's probably going to dominate up until AAA, and then that'll be a something of a test, and then then the real test will be MLB. Like, him being really good in the lower minors in AA doesn't tell you anything. 
And then nine innings doesn't really tell you anything at AAA either. So, Agreed, yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't, I feel like we're, like, he basically uh, hit the chalk on what his season should look like, and it's like, okay, well, now the actual test comes. Not nine innings at the end of a season, to, when a guy might be tired, or he just moved to a new town again, or plus the balls in AAA were super juiced last year. Uh, I don't think it's much information, really. Yeah, it's hard to judge it. We don't really... It, it's hard for me to make sweeping um, judgments on his season because of 10 games, 9 innings. But um, you really want to see him get... I think all of us here would like to see him get off to a really nice start just to like kind of put that in the back burner a little bit. Like, oh, we could ignore the 13.5 ERA because of him starting off well in AAA this year because that's what I'm assuming he's going to be. Yeah, I don't think there's anywhere else they'd put him. Yeah, I can't imagine demoting him again or it would just be a waste of everyone's time. And the Major League bullpen is not necessarily good, but full, pretty much. One, Dias, Dias, Lugo, Batantis, Wilson, Brach, Familia, Gazelman, and uh, who am I missing? Point is, there's not a lot of spots in that major league in the bullpen right now. No, yeah, of course. I think if he's on and he could perform to the best of his abilities, though, he would be a pretty solid middle reliever at the very least at the major league level. It's all going to come down to, um, you know, command of particularly the breaking ball. Mm-hmm. It's if he's able to command the breaking ball enough where he can really lean on it, you know. He's going to get big league outs, if not, you know. I mean, I, I have something, uh, as an aside, I have something of a dumb question here, because I think we've talked about how we all like curveballs, and it's an aesthetically pleasing pitch, even more so than a slider. Why, why aren't there more fastball curveball guys? Like, is it just Curveballs are really hard to throw. Are they just that it's much harder than pitch. sliders? Okay, fine. It's yeah. like anybody, anybody can learn a slider, because it's reliant more on a grip that's fair uh, i guess whereas a curveball you know not everybody can spin a ball well that's fair and a lot of times what a guy will call, call his slider is a curveball and what a guy will call his curveball is a slider like a lot of times there's just so much uh overlap between the two pitches that's probably even more true of relievers who are just like eh, i have this thing that isn't my fastball yeah I don't really know what it is. It's just not a fastball. That's why twelve six is the best shape because oh, you're absolutely. not confusing you're not confusing that with nothing else. Yeah. It's also just the most uh, satisfying to watch. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, we will move on now to our next guy, uh, Dyson Acosta. He was on. Uh, He's a right-handed pitcher. He was signed out of the Dominican Republic in 2016. Um, he made his he he played the D, the DSL team that year. He made his stateside debut in 2017 with the GCL Mets. He was with Kingsport in 2018, and then he began 2019 with the Brooklyn Cyclones. Uh, he spent uh, just a couple of starts there, and he was really good. Uh, so they sent him up to 
the Columbia Fireflies. Wasn't as dominant in the Sally as he was with Brooklyn, but he was still pretty good. Uh, he ended up posting a 378 ERA in 52.1 innings uh, there with 50 hits, 26 walks, and 49 strikeouts. Uh, so he just turned 21, and he's still pretty tall. He's pretty lean, lanky, so there could be some more growth to come. And that would be good for the fastball. It sits in the low 90s, tops out about 94 or so, which is, you know, average to maybe a little above average. Um, if he was able to put on a little more strength and muscle, you could maybe increase the velocity a tiny, tiny bit or, um, you know, let it, um, what's the word? You just have more stamina to throw it harder, more uh, longer. Um He's another guy. He throws a curveball. Very nice 12-6 curveball. Um, he can also manipulate the shape to be 11-5, or it could be a slider. Again, one of those things where you just kind of need uh, more views and data. And unfortunately, a lot of times Columbia is kind of in that uh, dead zone in the low minors. And then he also throws a changeup. Uh, it's an okay pitch. Um, it's very good down in the zone. And that's good because in just in general, he works down in the zone a lot. Uh, he walks more than a few guys because command isn't the best. Um, but it's not terrible, terrible command either. So overall, I think that Acosta is, a, is he's an exciting guy. You know, it's, it's a good frame. It's a good fastball. It's a good curveball. You know, the, the changeup could use some work, but he's still pretty young, so whose who's changeup doesn't need work at that age? Harold and, Gonzalez. Right, okay, well, true, true. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's a good uh, combination of things that Acosta has going for him. So, you know, he's another guy. Check back in a year or two, see how he's developed. Yeah, it's a good foundation. It's just where he ends up with it is what we're waiting to see and he's only 21 so a good foundation gets you pretty far in a system this bad oh exactly it gets you i mean top 20 which is <laughs> like of... it, 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 i don't think any of us are experts on the dodger system but the dodgers probably have like seven of these dudes and they don't even sniff this list like yeah exactly it's just how it is right now and Hopefully that starts getting corrected soon, but yeah, I wouldn't bet on it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'd, I'd bet on more of these dudes getting traded, if anything. But we'll see. Uh, who, how, how else are we going to acquire a, a Wilmer Font type midseason? <laughs> no, exactly. Like one of these dudes is going to be in some dumb trade like that, and we'll all be mad. Maybe it'll be Wilmer Font again. He's a Wilmer Font type. <laughs> he is. Well, that kind of. And that kind of what you're saying about how, you know, a lot of teams have just kind of a lot of guys like this. The Mets system, they, you know, there are some guys that are, you know, just kind of generically low 90s with a, a decent secondary. A lot of them are just so low in the uh, in the system. I mean, DSL guys and, and GCL guys and a handful at Kingsport, but. Yeah, optimally you would have more of these kind of guys higher in the system, and the Mets. That that's the big flaw in the system right now is just that the depth is very far away. 
which is yeah. not something uh, you really want. Yeah, this is the kind of arm you want, like sitting in. Tri- you want like three of these arms sitting in AAA, so you actually can churn your bullpen a little bit. But. Instead, who do the Mets have? Corey Oswalt, who is kind of this Corey Oswalt's generic. Fine. He's this generic kind of yeah profile. Um, Harold Harold Walker Lockett. Isn't he out of options? I don't even know. I think he is. Who he might be? I remember reading that that might be an issue this in spring training, but I, I could be totally wrong on that. But yeah, this is uh, Paul Sewald or something like that. Yeah. All right, uh, let us take a quick break here, and when we get back, we'll take a look at the next couple of guys. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to From Complex to Queens. I'm Steve Seifer, and I'm joined by Lucas Vlahos, Ken Lavin, and Thomas Henderson. And we are... Continuing our analysis of our 2020 list, and we just went over Riley Gilliam and Dyson Acosta, and now we are up to number 17, Tony DeBrell. He's from Georgia. Um, he went to Kennesaw State University. First couple of years there wasn't great. Um, he had a really good uh, season in the Cape right before his junior year. And he must have learned a thing or two because when he came back to Kennesaw in his junior year, he was really good, um, posted some really good numbers. And on draft day, the Mets selected him with their fourth round pick and he signed for $380,000, which was a little bit below slot value. He started his professional career in Brooklyn, um, wasn't that great, and he pitched in a variety of roles, so you know it's hard to take much of that he was promoted to columbia in 2018 and he spent the entire year there which is kind of weird for you know a a college arm who had okay who had okay numbers in college and was posting you know pretty good numbers in the sally but for the year he posted a 350 era in 131 innings allowing 112 hits walking 54 and striking out 147, which was tied for the most in the league that year. He was promoted to St. Lucie at the beginning of this year, and he was really good. He posted 239 ERA in 90 innings. And unlike the year before, he got promoted midseason. He got sent to Binghamton. But things just went wrong. Um, 
for as good as he was in St. Lucie, he was that bad in Binghamton. In 38.2 innings, he had 931 ERA with 51 hits allowed, 21 walks, and 31 strikeouts. So basically everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. Um, That's like the – that should be the Mets motto. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it is. But um, DeBrell has some pretty good stuff. Uh, low to mid-90s fastball with some sink. It is a pretty good slider, a pretty good changeup, and an okay curve. Um, slider is like his best secondary. And the changeup is really good, but it just doesn't really throw it much because it doesn't necessarily need to. The biggest problem with him is that, like we spoke about with Gilliam, the delivery is a bit violent. Um, he's not always consistent mechanically, so that leads to control and command issues. And, you know... One of those things, in addition to just not being able to locate your pitches when your mechanics are off, is that a lot of times the fastball velocity will back up, the the secondary pitches just won't be as sharp, and you know you'll get uh, whacked around, and that is probably what happened with Debrell in being. Well, obviously he got whacked around, but you know we we didn't get any reports that you know he was injured. We didn't get any reports that, you know, um, the fastball was down or, or that his, you know, the reports of other stuff was just not as good. So, you know, I don't know. It, it's kind of hard to make out what's going on there. Um, I know that we were all kind of dismayed, confused, wherever the word is, about how he wasn't promoted midseason last year. And it could just be, you know, I don't know anything about him um, not trying to be an armchair psychologist or anything like that. But it could just be that he's a guy that when you're coaching him, he doesn't take to um, change well. You know, he was with St. Louis, excuse me, he was with Columbia the whole season. He did great. He started out with St. Lucie. He was doing good. He got promoted mid-year, new coaches, new, new league, new everything. So maybe just was a case of, you know, not being able to adjust as well, as quickly as you'd like. But I'm I'm assuming that he'll start off again in Binghamton next season. So we'll see how he does starting off there with those same coaches and everybody. Well, actually, they're not, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the Mets have had a lot of uh, minor league turnover. I don't know. Like I, w- I wasn't a fan of Debrell when we started the list last year. You kind of talked me into it, and I'm like, all right, I can buy into this. And now I'm not a fan of Debrell again. <laughs> well, that just makes 2020 even more important for him. Then he needs to gain your trust back. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, do Do you just shove him in the bullpen? Maybe. Like. I was gonna I, ask if that's where we think he ends up. I've like, always kind of thought he was a reliever. And if he he has a good enough repertoire, it could be pretty dangerous out of the bullpen. Like if he harnesses it a little bit better, because the control is a problem. He he walked like I think it was like 4.9 per um yeah it was 4.9 per nine in Binghamton last year. Like he's got to get that under control like as soon as possible. But like the stuff is there, so that that makes that part interesting to me to see if he could ever figure that out and get it into the bullpen. I would hope so. 
Someone, someone is pro- one of us is podcasting from Old Shea Stadium, where you can hear the planes <laughs> taking off from the party in the background. Oh yeah, my dad. Someone, someone, step off the mound so the game can be stopped while the plane flies over. <laughs> um, yeah, well, the the command was kind of surprising, right? Because I, I I don't know. I I know we see this from other guys, so it's not like totally novel, but it's always a little more surprise. Like if a guy goes up a level and suddenly his slider just isn't good enough and he's getting smacked, okay. But seeing like such a massive loss of control is a little like you don't you because he's nibbling or something yeah Yeah. that's the only explanation i I have like like when like when you have like a rock and a 90 a 90 ra and is and are oh and eight like i'm gonna start throwing my slider a little off the corner more than i'm gonna try to throw it for strikes because i'm getting hit all around the park so like that makes sense for me logically that he starts to throw more balls because everything in the zone is just getting hit so Sure. Could be. Could be. Well, it's uh, his 2020 is going to be important. Yeah, for sure. I mean, idea ideally he would have been like seventh or eighth starter this year, right? It'd be like, all right, you had a good year last year. Now we're going to count you as as useful depth on the starting pitching depth chart, and now it's he's just totally out of the picture. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if he had, if would. Even if he was just slightly worse than he was in St. Lucie, you know, let's say instead of, of a 239 ERA, it was a 339, you know, and, and comparable walk rates and strikeout rates in Binghamton, then I think he would have his ticket punched for Syracuse this year mm-hmm. and would be, you know, on the periphery of the major leagues if, you know, a, things got uh, bad. Yeah, if things got bad and a role opened up in the starting rotation. But now it's. Not, not that you things would have to go really, really, really wrong for him to uh, be sniffing the major leagues next year at this point, or for him to be just like ridiculously good, which is like probably like I'm talking like almost unhittable in double A and then get promoted to triple A and is lights out there too. But even then, he's probably still so far down the totem pole. Yeah, he probably opens himself up for next year at that point, the year after, I mean, not next year coming up. He's a fun guy, though, so we'll uh, hopefully everything develops properly, correctly. Uh, next up is number 16, Jalen Palmer, uh, infielder. He is from uh, Brooklyn. He's from Canarsie, and he went to high school over in Flushing at Holy Cross High School. And um, he basically developed from just kind of a... a punk high school kid <laughs> to a, a pretty good baseball player in his, in his senior year. And um, the Mets picked him with the 22nd round selection in the 2018 draft. And they signed him for $200,000, which is a little bit above the uh, hard cap of 120 after the 10th round. He was 17 uh, last season for most of the year. So he was assigned to GCL as a 17 year old. He hit pretty well there. And then he was promoted to Kingsport this year, and he was one of the youngest hitters in the in the league again. And he hit pretty well, uh, 260, 344, 413 in 62 games with seven homers and a stolen base. But the one asterisk there is that he struck out 
at a really high rate, uh, 39.1% strikeout rate, which is pretty crazy high. Um, the reason for that, though, is you know the swing is just very long. Uh, it has a lot of length and, and loft in it. And basically, um, you know, he's he just swings over pitches a lot. Um, the bat speed is pretty good. And, you know, in the future, he will add a little bit of muscle to his frame. He is, what is he? He's still kind of lanky. 6'3", uh, excuse me, 6'3", 195 pounds. So you could add a little bit of good muscle there. And hopefully he'll learn to just kind of leverage that stuff and make his swing a little more, uh, a little flatter so that he'll be able to, you know, make better contact. Um, defensively, he's solid infield arm, uh, you know, good, good arm, strong arm, accurate arm. He has some quick twitch muscles, so he could play third pretty well. He could play shortstop pretty well. Um, he actually played shortstop a lot better than I thought he would um, when I saw him down there. If he grows and loses some of that, like, explosive speed, he could fit in the outfield. Um, but, you know, one of the, it's just one of those things where you want to keep him in the infield dirt as long as you can because he has all the tools to play it right now. And I'm kind of bullish on him because he is, you know, a Northeastern prospect. So a lot of times those guys are a little less developed or, or it takes a little bit longer for them to develop because, you know, it's just less time that you can play ball up here as opposed to, you know, the hotbeds in Florida and Texas, California. And it's just a really, really good base of tools that he has. Um, he, I've said this, I think, about Hansel Moreno, but also about Jalen Palmer. He reminds me a lot of Alfonso Soriano in the body type, the kind of long, powerful swing, and kind of possibly being an infield slash outfield guy. So, I mean, it would be... A, Wonderful if he developed into an Alfonso Soriano type because, you know, in his heyday, Soriano was a pretty good ball player. So, I get the hey, 40 uh, 40 season's a pretty good outcome, you know? Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll take that. that. That's one thing. I don't know if he just hasn't really run as much as he could or if he just really isn't that good on the base pass. But. Oh, oh, to be clear, I have, I have make, casting no aspirations about Jalen Palmer's uh, speed. I'm just pointing right, out. I'm the, just saying. Okay. I'm just saying that I, I, he looks like he should be quicker than he actually is. And he just doesn't, you know, he has not really run on the base pass at all. So I don't know if he just doesn't have that speed. But, you know, he looks like he should. I don't know. Uh, stealing bases is a skill, too. Like, yeah, it's not yeah. just being fast. Like, there's a lot of other stuff that goes into it. He just might not be good at the other parts yet. So, like, Juan oh, Ligaris was always should have been a little bit better at stealing bases, I thought, than he was. Yeah, very true, very true. So, like, realistically, we have a, an athletic infielder who probably isn't a shortstop long-term, but, but has some really nice athletic tools, performed decently well, but with a monstrous strikeout rate. How is that really different from Shavia Newton last year? He's younger, more advanced at the age that he is at. Mm -hmm. And I think 
and I, I was thinking about this before we started the podcast because I know in your blurb you mentioned that I know it was going to come up and I really don't know how to look up the numbers other than you know sitting down for hours and hours and hours and sorting through everything it would be pretty annoying but I feel like as a domestic you know uh american born player he has had access to better coaching over the course of his career he's had access to better you know just better facilities better everything mm-hmm. whereas you know Curacao isn't like destitute or anything like that but just the, the baseball infrastructure here is better and as a result of that palmer is probably just more advanced because of all that kind of stuff just as a ball player I mean, you know, I think the counter argument to that would be that Newton's probably been playing baseball year round for years and Palmer hasn't, despite the better facilities. That is um, true, too. You can make that case. So I, I, don't, I don't have an answer here. I oh, I guess I kind of lean towards the, the thought that we probably overranked Newton a little bit last year. Um, but it doesn't strike me as like drastically similar or drastically different. Excuse me. My brain is not functional. Um, not, yeah, I mean, they're both guys that their main, I think that Newton has a lot more raw power. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't see batting practice when I was in Kingsport, so I don't know how much raw power Palmer has, you know, if it, if it's comparable to Newton's, you know, in-game power to Newton just, you know, really would destroy the ball, you know, most of them were fouls in his case when I saw him, but I think that his raw tools are better, Newton. Mm-hmm. Um, but Palmer's probably has a higher ceiling because I would say his bat is probably a little bit better. Well, so he's gonna bet, he's, he might he might bat 240 instead of 220. <laughs> right. I mean, it's kind of you're like slicing hairs at that point. Right now, anyway. I know. Hopefully, well, hopefully his, his this his year goes better than uh, Newton's 2019. Well, he'll probably be sent to Columbia, so it'll be you know just like Newton was in Columbia this year. Palmer will probably be in Columbia next year, so we'll see. Same you know uh, hitting environment and everything. All right, and our last guy. For this week is Freddy Valdez, and he was signed out of the Dominican in 2018. Uh, he was one of the you know top rookies available during the 2018 to 2019 free agent signing period, and the Mets signed him to a 1.45 million dollar contract. And he spent he he made his professional debut this past season. He spent most of the year in the DSL, but then he got a cup of coffee. Stateside late in the late in the season. Um, basically, in his three-game stint in the GCL, he went four for ten with a double and a home run, three walks and three strikeouts, which is pretty much as good as you can be in uh, you know a handful of games. And Valdez is just a a real well-built kid. He's six foot three, two hundred ten pounds. And he's just, you know, like a, a football player kind of physicality. And his game basically revolves around all that strength. Uh, it's above average draw power. 
and his approach at the plate is to basically hack, and you know that will make the ball very go far, go very far when you connect. But you know when you take 100% power hacks at every uh, pitch, you know you you miss, you, you get off balance, you get fooled. So you know he's gonna obviously have to develop a better eye and some more patience at the plate it served him well now but once you start advancing up the minor league ladder and guys are throwing you better breaking pitches or able to command their pitches better and throw to spots that guys lower down the level can't you know that that's the uh it'll be a great reckoning there um defensively he's a big guy but um you know once he gets going in the outfield he makes up a lot of ground um his arm is above average, so he's basically a right fielder. If he loses mobility and speed, um, then he's probably going to be limited to first. But the bat does profile well there, at least. So, And he's a big kid and can scoop pitches decently. So if he is forced to first base, at least he'll, the bat and everything will fit there. But uh, he's another guy, you know, he's just very... Young, there's not a lot of data to go on here right now, but the early returns look good and, and the reports look good, so check back in a year. I mean, props to Ken for being the only one to rank him last year. Yep, yep. That was entirely because bonus-related. So. Why, 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 why are you uh, just... No, no, <laughs> you, you had the inside scoop. You knew. Exactly. Well, I'll give you complete sure. props... I mean, we're nowhere near up to him yet, but we'll give you complete preps for Alvarez. You know, I remember going to spring training. You were just like, wow, Alvarez is a dude. And sure enough, he was. So I, Entirely because his forearms are just freakishly big. Is he like Popeye? <laughs> yeah. That, he's, he's a strong boy. <laughs> Sometimes that's that's all you need to go on. <laughs> don't, just don't bring any spinach. Alvarez is probably similarly has similar forearms. Mm. I mean, excuse me, Valdez. Yeah, I mean, this is like prototypical. This is like a uh, Wilmer Becerra before he ripped up his shoulder, I guess. Like insert insert prototypical right field D- uh, Dominican prospect here. Yeah, that's yeah. I like to comp him to Vlad Guerrero based on the. Uh, Oh yeah, information we have. So that's a that's a fair comparison. <laughs> I'm sure that nothing wrong, nothing bad will come of that. Nothing of like not. shooting for the stars with that one. Mm-hmm. You might as well. I mean, hey, shoot your shot. <laughs> well, I want to comp to Vlad Guerrero. More accurate comp, probably Greg Guerrero. <laughs> <laughs> Except that's true for like literally every prospect. Yeah, that's about 85% of everybody, unfortunately. Uh-huh. I can't believe he's 6'3", 210 at 17. Dude, it's is... just unfair. <laughs> it's unfair, man. When I first saw that, I was like, oh, God. I was, I'm not even close to any of that. My, I, was... my, I had that feeling at Christmas when my cousin's kid, who I've always been taller than, is now four inches taller than me at, like, 15 and a half. <laughs> Like you went from five eight to six three in two months. This is bullshit. 
So it's probably safe to say Valdez has had his growth spurt. Uh, yeah, I mean, he I, I really can't see him getting that much bigger. Uh, yeah. It would kind of be scary if he did. He just comes back to camp 6'8". <laughs> Judgian. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, see, there's another conf then. Aaron uh-huh. uh-huh oh, there we go. go. There we go. <laughs> something, something, don't comp to Hall of Famers, something, something. Uh, Ken, why can't you just be fun? Uh... That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> you should ask my therapist that. Uh. Um, where do you where do we think Valdez is going to start this year? I, just I would assume sport. either Kingsport, yeah, if they're really Maybe bullish Brooklyn. on him. I think Brooklyn is a bit much. That seems super aggressive, Brooklyn. Yeah, you got to figure Hernandez. Oh, well, no, Hernandez started in the complex, so, yeah, I'd, I'd say Kingsport, probably. I think Kingsport's a safe bet. So the no. thing is, I don't know if this really means anything, but the, the Mets started Junior Santos and Alvarez in Kingsport, and they kept Valdez back, so I don't know if that, if I'm just reading to something that's not there, or if for whatever reasons they have, they wanted to slow his development a little bit. But if that is the case, then I don't see them pushing him too hard, especially since there's only like three games in the GCL. And yeah. it's ba- barely. Yeah, but that, who knows? Fair. I mean, I, I do wonder what the, like, just they spend so long in the complex, it's tough to imagine like what a good first half of the year is because we have no information on it. So, right. Also, that's another thing. It could, you know, where he starts next year is just completely dependent, like a lot of the other guys we've mentioned on how he does in extended spring training, and yeah. you know, he's he going to be destroying the ball, and he could have a 500 average or something, and they say, "Wow, I think you're ready," and yeah, they do send him to Brooklyn. I mean, that expanded spring training outfield is going to be a lot of fun with Consegra, Hernandez, and Valdez. Like, it's a fun yeah. little group. Yeah, there is sure. a lot of uh, a lot of interesting talent at the bottom of the system. That's where like all of it is, really. Like, <laughs> yeah. At the very bottom of the system, or like the top two people, and even then, it's like Jimenez was weird last year, and. I'd say the Mets were weird with Jimenez last year. Yeah, well, that's fair. That's a better way of putting it. That's a much better way of putting it. But yes, like, it's really all of it so concentrated at the bottom that even if we see any of these returns, it'll be, like, so far from now that the whole Mets team is like, is going to be different. Well, that might be good because then there might be less uh, of a desire for Brody to trade them. Because he just doesn't even... know who they are. <laughs> I can't. I can't wait till Catalina's like throwing gas at the back of the Rays bullpen next year somehow, and and we're just left sitting here like, well, okay. Wilmer those, Fontless. Those two yep. months of Wilmer Font, where he went somewhere else and was better for some reason. Oh, but don't worry, they got cash. It's almost like relievers uh, are pretty <laughs> pretty volatile. Yeah, something like that. Oh, yeah, that. they got cash for Font, too. Oh. Yikes. I'm sure all of that cash is reinvested in this in the team, definitely. 
That's that Dylan Batansis money. <laughs> yep. <sighs> All right. Well, anybody have any last words for the week? Please get cold again. I like the winter. Don't don't <laughs> don't make be sixty and humid the whole time. That's what spring is for. I thought we were supposed to get like a snowstorm or something later on in the week. So please, please. We didn't get any good snow last year in the city. It sucked. Um, I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh, we had that one random snowstorm at like Thanksgiving, and then it was just like 20 degrees, but no precipitation for the rest of the winter. I am I am fine with very light snowy winters. So. Ooh. All right. If anyone <clears throat> if anyone has any questions or comments, you could send us uh, an email at our email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I am at Steve Seiper. Lucas is at LVahus343. And Ken is at Ken1181. And Thomas is at SadMetSeasonSZN. You could subscribe to this podcast, wherever you get your podcast from. Please rate and review it and only leave us superlatives. And we will be back next week. We'll talk about some more of the 2020 top prospects. Until then, love the Mets, love the Mets.